just to believe for breakthrough. And I, I just believe God wants to bless. God wants to multiply. God wants to uh, show forth his, his goodness in our lives. How many believe that this morning? Amen. He's a good God. And Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you this morning for all that you're doing in our midst. God, you are faithful. God, you are faithful. God, you never fail us. And Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. So I felt from the Holy Spirit uh, that just this, this was a Sunday to really release a message and a vision, vision for this year. Um, I know, I know our, our uh, Western culture calendar may or may not mean something to the Lord, but how many know as a church we're in a time of transition? Uh, we're in a time of transition as a nation. We're in a time of transition as the people of God. This, um, I don't know about you, but 2021 came in fast and furious, right? Came in fast and furious. I, I, we were... We were on vacation when 2020 ended, and uh, people were going nuts, and they were celebrating and just going, yay, 2020, get behind us. Well, little did they know what was ahead of them, but um, uh, I'm, I'm excited because I believe all, in spite of everything that's happening, God still has good things in store for us. God still wants to do something marvelous and great in, in and through his church, Amen. And so that's what I really want to speak on this morning. And, and the word, as I was praying over this, I got one word. Let me tell you, it's hard to produce a sermon off one word. But it was becoming. Becoming. And how many know each and all, every one of us is becoming? God is doing a work in us. To will and to do according to his good pleasure. And then we are working that thing out, our salvation out with fear and trembling, it says in Philippians chapter 2. We are being transformed. How many know we are not just transformed, but we're continually being transformed by the renewing of our minds. But this message is for the church, for the corporate, for the body that we are becoming. And as, you know, it's just important that we get hold of God's vision for our life. Uh, as we were in worship, I was reminded of this passage in 29, uh, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, And it says, where there is no vision, and that word vision there means prophetic insight. How many know we need prophetic insight in the time we live in? Where there's no prophetic insight, no vision, the people are unrestrained unrestrained and how many know we are seeing that in our society unrestrained people psalm 2 says the nations are raging and so we are seeing this unsettled this lawlessness increasing in the earth because it goes on to say but happy is he who keeps the law so when there's no vision lawlessness increases when there's no prophetic voice in the church, lawlessness increases. And so 
Many times we look at society, we look at everything that's happening, and there's a temptation as the people of God to be separate and say, well, look at all that stuff that's happening and forget and miss the opportunity to say, wait, what part did we have in this? What part did we have in this? Because the Lord wants the church to be a voice in the earth. Come on. The Lord wants the church to be a force in the earth. And it's through, not through political influence. Come on, somebody. I thought I'd get a louder amen than that, but. It is through being a prophetic voice. It's through bringing the word of the Lord that the church is a, is a force in the earth. To be prophetic and to be speaking to the times and seasons that we are in. And that's what this is about this morning. When I read the book of Revelation, and you read the first two uh, chapters 2 and 3, and there's seven letters to the churches. And each and every letter ends with this passage. It says, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. And so we... In- are inclining our ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to His church in this time. I don't care what the news pundits are saying. I don't care what the media is saying. I want to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And we need to be a people who will hear and speak and declare what God is saying in the midst of all this. And so I was, like many of you, as I watched the news on January 6th, this violence, this riot in the Capitol, I was shaken. I was disturbed. Anyone else? I was sobered at the reality of the situation we're facing in our nation. And one image in particular struck me. And I don't know who this man is, but he came in with horns you guys saw this and he took the seat of the speaker of the house and he grabbed the gavel and that man is referred to amongst his crowd whatever that may be as a shaman a shaman is a mystical mystical uh sorcery they're into mystical stuff sorcery divination all sorts of stuff to control natural events in the earth they 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 it, it is it is witchcraft now i don't know if that's really what he's about or if that's a nickname but it was an image and it was and it struck me and i can't get it out of my mind because what it spoke to me is witchcraft and rebellion taking the seat of power witchcraft and rebellion taking the seat of power and i i don't care what you feel about this side or that side what happened that day was lawless and what and we can't say that without saying what's been happening in the streets of america for nine months is lawless lawlessness is increasing And so the church's response is not to stand by and judge and point fingers and all that. The church's response is to raise up and and speak and declare God's word in the midst of this. What is he saying? And so as that is our backdrop, and, and understand, if we want to understand what's happening in our country, 
This is a process that's been taking place for decades. Listen, our founders were brilliant, and I believe they were inspired by the Holy Spirit in creating the framework of the Constitution. I believe that. And I know history is being rewritten right now, and things are being said, and they're trying to reframe that whole story. And, this, and the people in the system aren't perfect, but I believe God inspired the de- creation and framework of the system. For us to be a voice in the earth, for the America to be a shining beacon, a, a city on a hill who would declare, guess what, the gospel. What brought about revolutions in this country were great awakenings. The Spirit of God moving upon the church and, that being, and people's minds and hearts being changed is what brought about these revolutions and eventually establishment of our nation. So it's important as they are rewriting history, we understand that God was moving in the midst of our history and, and creating the framework which we have been so blessed to be under in these years. But John Adams said this. He said, Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Because the system they built was this. It was was based on this premise that God gives you your rights. That your human rights are from God. They are self-evident. And that government's role was to protect those rights, not define those rights. But when you have an immoral, and if I may say this, an uneducated society, they begin to diminish that. And all sin and immorality leads to bondage, and then there's a cry out for deliverance. Well, if the church isn't there to declare the word of God, guess where they go? They go to government. They go to other sources. And so sin and immorality, come on somebody, we have sown to the flesh, and of the flesh we've reaped corruption, and we saw that on January 6th. It's manifesting in our nation. You're saying, Pastor, when are you going to get to the news? I'm getting good news. I'm going to get there. I promise. But this is the fra- this is our backdrop of this coming year. Who knows what this fe- this year holds? I can't tell you. I'm not here to, today to prognosticate or or to tell you every event that's going to happen this year. I know this that it's going the, the heat is getting turned up on the church this year. I mean from the outside. I mean the pressure the resistance the hostility towards the church is going to increase in america and my job as a pastor i was shaken preparing this message is to warn you prepare you and 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 make you ready so that we'll be able to stand in this hour because i believe in spite of all that that the church's finest hour is still ahead of us not just christ the rock i mean the church its finest hour is still ahead of us i hope you believe that and see, what vision is about is, is about getting the heavenly perspective on what is happening. Because there are things going on in the spirit realm. I even felt the other night during that crazy storm, spiritual things. Because as things are raging in the heavenlies, there is a manifestation at the earth, in, in our natural. 
And so we can't ignore these things. And we, we ask God, give us clarity, give us understanding, give us vision in this hour. But here's what I feel from the Spirit of the Lord is that while there have been movements arising that are based on collective identity and experience, are you with me this morning? How many know we as the people of God have a collective identity and a collective experience in Jesus Christ? We are so diverse and it's beautiful. But we are not defined by our externals. We are, we are defined by our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. That's what binds us together, is our, is our love for him and our being baptized into the body of Christ. So I believe this year is about becoming the people of God. Becoming the house of God. Becoming who God's intended us to be. Because if we're honest and we look at the book of Acts and we look at who the church was intended to be and we look at what we've become, we say there is a chasm, but God, how many know God is able to bring us back to restore us to the place God intended for us from the get-go? And so with that, let's dive in. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, speak to our hearts. Lord, we want to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying, Jesus, to us this morning. We, your people, incline our ears to you, Father. We open our hearts to you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for your voice and for you to bring revelation in the wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, Jesus. Amen. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5 says, And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but it is but is choice and precious in the sight of god you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house somebody say spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ amen that's what we're being built up that we are becoming a spiritual house but look i want i want to take back to the beginning of first peter because peter is writing this book this letter if you will to the people the christians who have been dispersed in in parts of asia and into galatia and cappadocia and bithynia and he refers to them as strangers strangers and that word in the greek is those who are sojourning in a strange place a foreigner anyone feel like you're in a strange place these are foreign this is a foreign place we've never been here before and i think that's what our what 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 is in front of us if i can be honest this morning but they were temporary residents in a foreign land but, but i think the apostle wants them to see this he wants them to see that their temporary circumstances is a picture of their spiritual condition. What does that mean? That we are aliens in this world, that we are in the world, but not of the world. And he's reminding them, yes, this is your temporal circumstance, but this isn't your permanent place. How many are thankful for that this morning? This is not our permanent destination. We have a future destination that God has for us. He's prepared a place for us, and he's coming to rule and reign on the earth. Come on, somebody. These believers who had been dispersed were facing hostile environments and persecution from the world. Their pressure was external, okay? 
There was no way for them to stand individually. I'm going to say that again. There was no way for them to stand individually. One of the things that's important for us in becoming as the people of God is to recognize we don't stand alone. And much of Western culture in the church, we've looked at the Word of God individualistically. And if you realize it was written in an Eastern context, there is a collective, there is a we to it. Much of these verses. And this verse, this passage is to the we. It's to those who are dispersed to let them know, yeah, you may feel alone. You may feel like a stranger. You may feel like you're in a strange place. You may feel like you're going through this and nobody else is, but you are not. And you are part of something bigger. His exhortation was to them as the collective. God is so good. He scatters those, or he, he gathers those who have been scattered. He gathers the outcasts. He gathers the misfits. Come on, any misfits in the house this morning, right? He gathers those who don't belong, who don't fit. All of us are a little weird or different in our own way, if we're honest. Amen? But in those trials and tribulations and circumstances that we go through, the hard times in life, it's easy to forget who we're called to be. We have to be reminded of identity because function flows from identity. Function flows from identity. If you know who you are in Christ, if you know what he's given you, if you know the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, then out of you shall flow rivers of living water. You begin to function in the gifts and callings that God's called you to be in. Amen? So we have to look at that as the corporate, as the church, who are we called to be? This year will be thrust into places we've never been. We'll be facing troubles and challenges we've never faced in our lifetime. The spirit of the Antichrist is going to rise up against the church in, in a way we have not seen before. But I believe God has been preparing a people who are standing strong, who are ready to stand and face and be victorious in the midst of this. You have been born for such a time as this. You're like, man, I wish I lived like 40, 50 years ago when things were easier. That would have been nice. But you've been wired and born and God's created you and destined you for this time and this season that you're living in. Amen? And that means that he'll give you what you need to be victorious and overcome in this hour. So number one is becoming his house. Peter starts by declaring the we. Yes, we must move from me to we. We must move from me to we. That's an important mentality in the church. When we begin to see ourselves as a part of a spiritual house that God's building. Amen? Offering, and he says, the purpose of this spiritual house, he's making us into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. And this speaks to our need for together. Together. Because what God wants to accomplish in and through us cannot be done except that we do it together. We do it together. There are no lone rangers. Come on, somebody. 
But God has called us to function as the church, as the body, members one of another, functioning and complementing each other, each joint supplying. Amen? So there's a living stones. You can't build, even though they're living stones, they, you have to recognize a living stone can't do anything of itself. It needs to be connected, one, to the chief cornerstone, and two, to other stones to build the house. So that means you've got to be formed, fashioned, shaped, and fitted, and placed where God wants you to be. And that is the place of fulfillment and joy is when you find that place. When God fits you where you belong. It feels so good. Amen. Look at Acts chapter 7. Stephen speaking to the leaders of his day is reminding them of the history of, his na- of their nation. That Solomon built temple. David wanted to build it, but Solomon ended up building it. But he says, hey, verse 48 of chapter 7 of Acts, he says, however, yeah, it was a nice house. We liked that building. How many know they were admiring that building? And Jesus said, this building, there's not going to be one stone remaining of this building. And in A.D. 70, the, Roman, the, the, the Romans came in and destroyed it, right? So every word is fulfilled. But he says, however, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, and this is quoting Isaiah chapter 66, he says, heaven is my throne and earth is, my, is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Oh, what place is there for my repose, my rest, if you will? So, what, so was it not my hand which made all these things? God has always desired to build a spiritual house in his people, a dwelling place where he dwells in his people, in the we. You know what's special about coming together as the people of God is that he, his presence comes in a special way. A way that we don't experience on our own. A way that we don't experience in any other place except when we are gathered together with the people of God. And that's why Hebrews 7 or Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. Because in, in that gathering is where God's presence comes in a special way to strengthen us, to encourage us, to saturate us. So we go back out into the world filled up and ready to overflow to this lost and dying world. Come on, somebody. But that's the house. And then he says, and then we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And he says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Whoo! I'm telling you, that is a revelation that we should just, we, it'll just grow in our lives. Understanding what it means to be the temple of God. But we've always looked at it individually. True, the Holy Spirit dwells in believers. But here, the context is corporate. It's corporate. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Somebody turn to somebody and say, we are the temple of God. Come on. 
That's where the Spirit of God dwells. That's the house he's building is made out of living stones. Are you with me still? But the builder of this house is the Lord himself. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. The material for these ha- this house is plural. They are many stones. So we can't build this house without each and every one of you. How many know there's some additional stones that are still coming in? We're a long way from seeing the fullness of the spiritual house that God is building. That he's bringing in more living stones as he works in the hearts of people, as he's forming and fashioning and fitting and starting to place them in his house. God takes us stones who were hardened, useless, and dead in our sins and breathes life into us. And then we, as our lives are placed upon the chief cornerstone by his spirit, begins to form us, shape us, fit us, and fashion us for his use. Let's read on. 1 Peter 2, continuing, verse 6, says, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay as... I lay in Zion a choice stone. Somebody say choice stone. A precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Will not, mm, will not be disappointed. <laughs> You're dealing with some disappointment. Don't let it turn to despair. God says you will not be disappointed if you will believe on him. Verse 7, this precious value, right? How many know beauty is in the eye of the beholder? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And the value, he says, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and, and, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Hmm. So you can either trip over the stone or you can fall on the stone of who Jesus is, the chief cornerstone from which everything in the house is built and based on him. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. So it all hinges on how we respond to the living stone, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the precious stone, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? Going on to verse 9. I love this. But you. We could just stop there. But you. God has a different assessment concerning the people who have put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But you. It's a contrast to those who have disbelieved and are appointed to doom as a result. But he says, but you are. And here's the identity God wants to get in us this morning. Come on, somebody. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And for what purpose? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Somebody say marvelous this morning. For you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Again, reminded them. 
You may feel alone, but you are the people. You are part of God's greater plan. You are part of God's greater body. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Whew. Praise God. Number two is becoming his people. And I just want to take some time and look at what are the marks of who God's people are. Number one, they are chosen. They are chosen. As you're a chosen race, some versions of your Bible might say chosen generation. But we, re- we need to be reminded that our race from heaven, the bl- which is based on the bloodline, come on, has more meaning than any other external defining race. In a society that is ripped and divided on racial tensions, we need to be reminded that our race is based on the blood of Jesus. That line. There is no division. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no, there is no difference in the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. We are of many tribes and tongues, but we are joined together in one race because of the lineage of the blood of Jesus Christ. And here, here is this mentality of being chosen. And see, this is what counters in our life rejection. This is what counters in our life failure and mistakes and everything that's defined us. The world wants to define you by what you your failures and your mistakes and everything that you've done but God says you are a chosen race and see if you would get hold of this if we would get hold of this it would transform how we live living from a place of acceptance living from a place of knowing I'm loved I'm a, that I am chosen by God You see, these people who were dispersed could relate to the chief cornerstone who had been rejected because they they themselves had been rejected by their own. They themselves had been cast out and dispersed. They could say, we can relate to him. And Jesus says, I can relate to you. I suffered rejection. I suffered losing even my closest disciples in my greatest hour of need. I've suffered that. But I accept you. And what God wants us to know is his acceptance is so much greater than any rejection that we've ever experienced. His love is greater than any rejection from the world or loved ones or family or things that we've experienced. And we can choose to live from that place of identity. We choose to live and say, God, I am chosen. We are chosen. We're talking about the we this morning. We are chosen. He was that, my brother-in-law shared with me an experience he had as he visited Israel and was touring Golgotha, the place of the cross. And he saw, and he looked down, and he saw these stones that had been scattered. And he asked the guide, he said, what are these stones? What are those? He goes, oh, they were stones that were rejected when they were building see on the very place where jesus bore those nails where he was crucified where he was rejected by men 
There were the stones that the builders had rejected. A prophetic picture of him who was also rejected for us. Come on, somebody. He's the select precious stone. Unfit, considered unfit and rejected in man's eyes. You know, God, what, what man calls unfit and rejects, God accepts and receives. Maybe we've been rejected, we've been cast aside, but God says he brings the, the orphans into families. He, he places the fatherless into families. And he brings those who have been cast out, who have been set aside by the world. Those are the ones that the Lord goes after. Come on. I'm thankful that, for that this morning. Are you? Think of how hard we try to be accepted. I can remember my greatest... My greatest fear growing up was just not fitting in. I know I'm the only one in here who ever felt that way. Not fitting in. And, you know, as a pastor's kid, you always felt kind of weird. So I always felt I was weird because I was a PK. I know. It's just weird. Don't don't try to understand that. But I felt weird. And so I, I, I didn't actually advertise that. I probably kept it under wraps because I just wanted to get below the radar and just fit in with the crowd. This was BC in my life, right? That's before Christ. There's also before COVID, right? Um, but, but I wanted to just fit in. I wanted to mix in with the crowd. And I can remember being in the car one day and this, by the way, there's people that were in my life before I was saved that as soon as I got saved, they just, boom, bolted, right? Well, I'm going to follow Jesus now. Okay, later. All right. We're out. And I, so I, I was explaining this to my son. I said, those, were, those weren't really friends. They were acquaintances. So when I tell stories, he's like, was this an acquaintance <laughs> or a friend? Because I didn't really discover what true friends were. Come on, somebody. So I got really saved. People who actually cared about me, really. And so I'm in the car and this acquaintance is driving and my friend is in the passenger seat. He says, hey, do you know Ingstrom is a PK, pastor's kid? And this guy says, well, that's why he's so weird. And it just struck right at that stupid little fear in me because I was afraid of being weird. You just need to embrace it. When he says you are chosen, this word is like the other definition says peculiar. You're just never going to fit into this world, and you're never meant to fit into this world. Come on, somebody. You just don't fit. So why don't you fit where God wants to fit you? Becoming his people. By the way, I'm thankful I'm a pastor's kid now. Come on. just want to clarify that. I'm happy. It's a good thing. I'm blessed with wonderful parents, a wonderful family. I'm so grateful. Godly heritage. God's choosing us in him. Look at Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Listen to this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless in him before him God's choosing because of our choosing 
Our choosing, God's choosing. Do you see how those work together? As we choose him, we step into his choosing. And God's choice is to, listen to this, to bless you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly Christ, in, in heavenly places. How many know if we would get hold of that revelation and reality in our life? It would change how we see things. It would change how we see temporal things. You know, you know that's why Paul could say, I'm content in much or little, because he knew of his heavenly inheritance. He knew of his spiritual blessings that God had given him. And so if we're aware of that, and that becomes of greater value than anything this world will offer, come on, then no matter what comes, we can live in that security, being blessed and accepted in, his, in the beloved. Amen? This meaning of chose, God the Father chose for himself. Christians, those who have been put, put faith and put their, chosen to put their faith and trust in Christ as those whom he set apart from the world as dear unto himself to be peculiarly, that's a hard word, his own and to be attended continually by his gracious oversight. Now look at this, John 15, 19. Jesus speaking to his disciples said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. They don't love you. It's okay. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. So when you step into God's choosing, you step into the world's rejection. So we have a choice. We live securely in God's acceptance as a people or focus on the rejection of the world. Listen, and this is important in the coming season. Listen, there are, there are, there are all of the elites and the powerful people in our country and in the world are gathering together against the church. Trust me, they want to silence our voice. But I believe this, it's time to turn up the volume. Not hit the mute button, guys. Come on. Hallelujah. Let's look at this. Number two, we are a ministering people. He says a royal, a ministering people is part of the marks of being the people of God. He says a royal priesthood. You know, God has always sought a people who will be mediators of his goodness in the earth. Come on. And in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, he says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This was God's desire for Israel. In Deuteronomy, he says, I've chosen you out of all of the nations of the world, not because you're greatest in number, not because you're all that, but because of my promise to Abraham. Chosen because of his promise. Fulfilled because of his promise, he says, I've chosen you to be a kingdom of priests. There are words that you shall speak. These are words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel, he told Moses. So that was God's intent all along. And if you go skip all the way to the other end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, he says, he still called us to be a kingdom of priests. In Revelation chapter 1. So under the Old Testament law, there was a distinction between the priesthood and the royalty. A, a strong distinction, so much so that King Uzziah, who was, who was doing well and blessed and started to go to his head, decided one day that he wanted, to, uh, he wanted to go about and do the priestly ordinances in the temple. 
And because he did, he was cursed. That's the there was such a clear distinction in that. But here, here, here the Spirit of the Lord is saying royal priesthood. He's saying you're both kingly and you're both a priesthood. So I want you to see something this morning. We, there, there's a priesthood of the believer. Every, each and every one of us are called to be priests. Each and every one of us are called to be ministers. We believe in this house. Everyone is a minister. Everyone is a minister. Doesn't matter if you're up here or not. You are a minister. You have a ministry in your family. You have a ministry in your community. You have a ministry wherever God places you and has fit you. God's given you a ministry. But that function and unction of the Holy Spirit flows out of identity of who you are. And that royalty and priesthood go together. Why is it both? Because there is a higher priesthood, a higher order that the, that the Scripture refers to. In Psalm 110, it's, it's in, in speaking of the mess, Messiah to come, he says he will be of the order of Melchizedek. You go, well, that's a funny name. Well, Melchizedek was in the book of Genesis. He runs into Abraham after Abraham had battled the, the kings and won and had victory. And, and it says that Abraham gave to Melchizedek a tithe. By that's way, that's the precedence for tithing that began in, in Genesis. But Melchizedek, it says of him that he was, he was a king of Salem, but that it also he was a priest of the Most High. That's, what, that's how Hebrews refers to him. Now, I hope I don't lose you guys for just a minute here, but that's Hebrews chapter 6. Go into chapter 7, study it. It's amazing. And even on that topic, the writer of Hebrews says, I have much more to say about this guy, but you can't handle it. It's a deep topic, apparently. But he was both a king and a priest, and that's the priesthood that Jesus brings. So the example of this priesthood is found in our high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's who we're called to, to be like him. He's our king, he's our priest, he's our prophet, and we as his people are to function in his authority, his kingly authority. See, I believe this year God is going to bring us into a new authority and level of victory in prayer. As we recognize this, as we're becoming who God's called us to be, that's why we as a church are intent on being a house of prayer. That's who God's called us to be. So priesthood really speaks of being consecrated, which means I've been marked, devoted to God as holy and separated. I'm His. I don't belong to myself anymore. And I was reminded as I was praying over this message that I, going back to March of last year, before this pandemic really kicked in, I was praying, and the Holy Spirit said two words, this will be a time of consecration and separation. Consecration and separation in my church. And how many know last year we were challenged in our identity as a church? The church was challenged with this. They said, you're not essential. The world basically came out with this assessment that you're not essential. And so we were faced with, okay, why have we arrived here that they consider us not essential? We are essential, but we haven't, maybe we haven't proven that. 
And so as we were in this moment, there was a time of purging in the church. There's a time of cleansing. But that's why I believe this year he's saying, who are we to be? And we are going to be coming into the becoming of who we are really meant to be. So we were challenged. But God is calling us to rise up, be consecrated and separated to him. The priest was to minister to the Lord and to minister to the people. I want you to see this. He went in, and on the day of atonement, the high priest would atone for his own sins, and then he would enter into the holy of holies, the only person who could do this one time a year for the sins of Israel, and he would pour out the blood on, on, on the... Uh, on, on, on the mantle there and then he would and then the, the Shekinah would come down and God would consume the sacrifice and the sins would be forgiven and he'd come out and declare to the nation that their sins were forgiven but how many know when Jesus died and he said it is finished something happened the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom and that veil was open signifying that through his blood all of us have access to the holy of holies the same access the very high priest had god has given us to go into his holy of holies and in hebrews chapter 4 he says come boldly before my throne come boldly before the throne of grace in time of need so that you might receive mercy and grace come on somebody so as the priest we go in to his presence we receive what we need we minister to the lord and then we go out and minister to the people that's the royal priesthood and we do it in the authority of the king praise god you guys are getting quiet in here i'm almost done all right but this is it we go in and we go out there's a ministry of that in the church we're meant to be saturated in his presence but there's also something we need to learn we're to minister to him now a lot of church is focused on ministry to us and that's important but we as his people as the priesthood are to minister to him and we do this through spiritual sacrifices it says at the beginning of first peter peter 2 there spiritual sacrifices it's it's our acts of love and devotion and praise and worship to him it's a life poured out for him. It's fulfilling Romans chapter 12, which says we are, a living, we are to be living sacrifices. That's what's pleasing and acceptable to him is our life just being a fragrance to him. Poured out for him. Come on. I love it. I mean, we're in a season in our house where things are changing with our kids, right? They're, they're growing, they're getting older, and they're, they're being responsible. It's awesome. Like, they do chores now. It's so amazing. And, you know, there's a time when your parents, and, and it, it's all about you giving to them. You're giving, you're giving, and it's all about their needs all the time. Come on, parents. And some of you are like, I'm still there. <laughs> it's their needs all the time. But then there's a time when they grow up and, they, and, and they, they start to learn how to help. And they start to do some things around the house. Come on. And just like that, so it is with our spiritual growth. 
We come in and Jesus is just healing us and restoring us and ministering to us. And that never stops, by the way. He's always doing that. He's pouring into our lives. But there comes a point where we need to begin to minister to him and for him. And it's a wonderful, pleasing, acceptable thing to him in his sight. All right. Lastly, we are a separated and consecrated people. He says a holy nation devoted to his purpose. Here's what I believe is happening. I believe the degree of separation, now hear me this morning, between the church and the world is going to increase. The degree of separation between the church and the world is going to increase. The contrast between the people of God and the people of this world is going to increase. You will, if you are living for Jesus, if you are living a life and you desire to live godly, as Paul told Timothy, those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Thanks, Paul. But it's true. If you desire to live godly, you won't be able to hide anymore. You'll be one of them. You'll be marked. So he says, you are devoted to him. You're holy. You're separated. Now listen, it's a separation from the system of the world, not the people of the world, because we're called to reach them. You see, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, he brought them out of the world. But when, he brought, when they were going through the wilderness, the process was to get the world out of them. And so God has been doing a work in the church and he's continuing to do it to get the world out of us. You know, when those events on, one, on January 6th happened and I was waking up the next morning praying and seeking the Lord, just sobered by things and a little bit, I'm just going to be honest, I was a little bit down. Going, what is ahead of us? Because when you just sur- focus on the circumstances in the natural, you're just going to get down. So I said, I got to lift my head up. I got to see, Lord, what you are wanting to do. And he took me on a passage through scripture and he took me to 1 John chapter 2. And it says, those who love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. We need to declare our love for him and get rid of our love for the world. And its system and its ways and all that. Then he says this goes on he says for the world is passing away here's the good news but those who do the will of god shall remain forever you're going to live on past the expiration date on this world if you do the will of god if you do the will of god so it was a reminder to me going listen my people to have put too much trust in the seat of government. And the shaking, this is what Pastor John said, and it really rung true with me, the shaking will continue until they come to my mountain. To the mountain of the Lord. The hope is not in Washington, D.C., somebody. The hope has never been there. Our hope is in the King of Kings who reigns, whose throne and of his government there shall be no end. That's where our hope is. And so there's been a shaking. There's been a separation that's been taking place. And in this world, that will inc- in this year, I believe that'll increase. But I believe it's bringing forth a people who are ready to stand and be who God's called us to be. See, this word holiness is about separation. 
First, second Corinthians, I'm going to finish here. Second Corinthians chapter six, six, 16 through 18. This is the second passage the Lord took me to while I was praying that morning. And I've been meditating on this since. Where Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? I'm going to say that again. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Idolatry is what God is dealing with. Getting the idols of the world out of our hearts that have taken that place that he belongs on. For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them, or coming back to the starting point, and walk among them. That's God's desire. Dwell in us and walk among us. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Come out from their midst and be separate. That's he's calling out a separate people, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. Oh, thank you, Lord. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Separation, calling us out. So God's dealing with that in us, but it's a good thing. Somebody say it's a good thing. My love of the world, those things that have held my heart, my affections that belong to God that have been placed on things in this world, put too much trust in the system of this world. God's saying, I'm taking that. Those idols are being cast down. Can we stand to our feet this morning? Thank you for bearing with me this morning. I just believe God has a, wants to do something special in us as a church as he prepares us, as he prepares us for this coming season. So becoming his people is about together. He ends this passage by saying, you who were not a people have become a people. Corporate identity with the people of God, embracing the we. And I believe as a church, in terms of living this vision out this year, we're going to pray together. I shared with this with the ministry teams in December. It's about praying together. We're a house of prayer for all nations. And I believe the Lord wants to increase that in us. I believe the Lord wants to give us a revelation of being the royal priesthood. Walking in the kingly authority that he's given us. Declaring and decreeing the purposes of God over your life, over your family, over your community, over loved ones who are over your circle of influence. I believe God is going to begin to awaken our hearts to the conditions of those around us, to see the reality of their pain, their rejection, their hurt, their lost state, their blindness. Not to see as man sees, but to see with the compassion of the Father. 
because the priest was to carry the heart of the Father. To take that place between the porch and the altar and plead for the people. I wonder if we this morning would be willing to accept his burden for the lost, for the hurting, for the prodigals. Secondly, we're going to be growing together because we are becoming. And you see the glue, the substance that binds us together is the love of God. And that love of God is manifested in us in fellowship and relationship. And in those relationships, yeah, some people rub you the wrong way. Come on. Let's be honest. But that's smoothing the surface. And I believe God is doing a work in us to bind us together under the banner of his love. We're growing together in discipleship. We're growing together. I hope you're a learner this year. I hope that you will pursue God's calling and purpose in your life. Let him fit, form you, fashion you, fit you this year where he wants you to be. But we never stop learning and we're doing it together. Bible studies, home groups, engaging with the people of God. We're serving together. Serving together is really functioning in the ministry of the body that God's called us to be. Functioning as the royal priesthood in the house. Serving one another with the gifts that God has so entrusted us with. Amen? Reaching together. Stepping out to minister to our world around us. God wants to take this far beyond the walls of this building into our communities and the nations of the world. But it starts with identity. It starts with the revelation of who God's called us to be. And he says, be my house. Be a place of dwelling because the first thing we are is a presence-centered people. We're centered on his presence. For, For just one moment this morning, I wonder if you just lift your hands and let's just continue where we were in worship this morning and oh Holy Spirit we're so grateful you're here